The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another edition of Friday Night Live on Friday, the 7th of December 2018. That's right. Another 23 days to go until we hit 2019. SubhanAllah, what a year it has been in many, many fronts. Coming up on tonight's program, you are going to be really in for an action-packed ride because initially we're going to start off by talking about the topic on everyone's mind. I know it's on my co-presenter's mind. Zabzab, alaikum. How are you, sir? Alhamdulillah. How's, how's your week going? Alhamdulillah. Good to see you again in uh, the UK. Great Marshall. to be back, Zafar Saab. You know, you know what it is? Every time I touch down on the great British soil, I have to make my way down to the Luton soil. Inshallah. <laughs> and a, Inspire FM soil. And Inspire FM soil as well. Mashallah. Mashallah. But Zafar Saab, we're going to be talking about Brexit. Um, we've got a very special guest lined up. He was on the show with yourself, actually, uh, right. a couple of weeks ago, who helped us give uh, an amazing history of Brexit. But Dr. Stephen Barber is going to be joining us very, very imminently. Um, after him, we're going to go on to another topic outside the fold of the United Kingdom into the fold of the United States. That's right, Donald Trump has been up to some interesting antics over the last few weeks. Of course, he has been in the uh, G11... Is it G11? I can't remember. The, the G20. G20 summit. That's right, where all the top 20 nations get together. Um, and he has been backing up MBS. That's right, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The question is why? And some people are saying course and should you be asking the question yeah we should be asking the question should some, you be asking the question some people are saying <laughs> that he is backing him up not because he believes his story but there is some oil geopolitics at play <laughs> well we're going to be talking to Mohammed Artif from Voice of America no stranger to this show and also Neil Hurst who's a senior policy fellow for Energy and Mitigation at the Gretham Institute at the Imperial College London. Yes, we're, we're going to be speaking to the top um, experts on oil and understanding America's policy towards oil, especially with the shale boom that's going on right now. And of course, we're going to move on to other topics as well, especially topics in China as well, where there is some unrest with the local Muslim population. Um, but second part of the program is going to be especially challenging especially challenging because well we're going to be talking about a topic that's very very difficult very difficult and i'm going to be wanting to hear from you throughout the course of tonight's program whatever topic we're talking about whether it's brexit whether it's oil or anything else that touches a nerve, 01582481822. But how do you deal with bereavement? That's a question that we'll be trying to answer with some experts, both spiritual and also psychological. Uh, we'll be speaking to a whole panel of excellent guests tonight on how you deal with the death of a loved one. Maybe it could be a spouse, 
it could be a parent, a grandparent. But imagine this, and I'm sure there's many of you listening right now who actually have children. Just think for a moment, how would you feel if one of your own children were to pass away and die unexpectedly? It's a sad reality in many people's lives. How do you deal with that? That's coming up in about an hour's time. We'll be speaking to the experts. Not an easy topic for me to talk about, and you'll find out more later on tonight. But let's go back to the agenda for the first hour of tonight's show because this is Friday Night Live and we do touch on topics that affect everyone and we're talking about Brexit right now and I want to go straight on to our first topic and our expert on the line because this is all on the back of the latest news coming out of the BBC this evening where um, it is being very clearly said that in a no-deal Brexit scenario um, you know, the, the, the minister's effectively saying that this disruption at Dover could last for six months. Now, Zafrasar, my question to our expert in a moment is going to be, well, who cares about Dover? Like, what's, what's so significant about Dover? And I think, I just don't think that the general Luton, Nottingham, Sheffield, Peterborough population can quite appreciate the severity of the situation that's taking place in Westminster right now. And in fact, for on that topic, I want to go straight to um, Dr. Stephen Barber, who's principal lecturer and director of the MBA studies at the University of Bedfordshire. Uh, Good evening, Dr. Barber. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. You're live on the radio. So, Dr. Barber, I mean, I've been watching the news. um, I've been glued to the news, and many people will think I'm nuts, but... I voted Remain, and the more I watch the news, the more I think, what the hell is going on? Literally, like, what's going on in the country? Um, Theresa May, nobody's backing her, nobody is backing her particular deal. And at the same time, she is insisting that she wants to go through with the vote on the 11th of December. I mean, what say you? Well, I I agree with you. I'm rather perplexed as to why uh, she seems dead set on um, continuing with a vote, which looks almost certain to be lost, and not just lost by a small margin, but lost by maybe as much as 80 or 100 Conservative MPs voting against it. Um, Um, That's huge. Um, And, I mean, I heard a a night or two ago the Chief Whip, the... uh, uh, the, the member of the government responsible for uh, getting uh, MPs in line, MPs in line, and mm. voting for the uh, for, for, for the legislation that uh, the government wants them to, to vote for, um, saying that he was pretty confident he was going to get the votes, and that just doesn't seem to stack up. Yeah. Um, so my my, my, my oh perplexed my uh, position is, well, maybe they know something we don't, mm. Um, mm. but I, I can't see it. I can't see that she can win this vote. So, Dr. Barber, tell me this. I'm a simple guy. So in layman's terms, if we end up on December the 11th, which is when currently Parliament is scheduled to actually vote for Theresa May's deal with the Re- European Union, um, if subsequent to that particular vote, um, the government loses. Just talk us through the potential scenarios that could ensue over the next few months until we get to the date in March. Well, I mean, this is a 
major piece of legislation. It's what Theresa May has personally staked her reputation on. It's the main uh, focus of this government and has been since she became prime minister. Um, And in normal circumstances, if a prime minister and a government lost uh, the, the House of Commons on a piece of legislation like that, you would be in no confidence territory. Okay. Uh, you'd be in. You'd be expecting this government to, <laughs> you know, to be on the brink of collapse, mm. and we could well be in that position. Uh, Labour looks set to, um, uh, to to put forward a no confidence motion in those circumstances, which I suspect the government would win because the DUP would probably fall behind and and um, and, and support the government. Mm. So you you could find uh, a, a government and a prime minister who's already beleaguered. Um, severely, severely weakened, um, but because she manages to win a, a confidence motion, you know, staggers on a little longer. Um, and I suspect she probably will stagger on a little longer against the odds, simply because there's no serious alternative to her in the government or in the Conservative parliamentary party at the moment. Right, so, that there's, uh, so there's a couple of scenarios that is what I'm hearing from you. There is the opportunity for Jeremy Corbyn's opposition, the Labour Party, to effectively say that we have no confidence in the government and therefore, I guess, trigger another general election, which they would love well, to do, right? It doesn't trigger it immediately under right. the Parliament Act. Right. It, it would have done in the past, back in 1979, when there was a vote of no confidence in the Callaghan government and he lost it by one uh, one parliamentary vote. Mm. Um, uh, that triggered a general election. And, and if you remember, uh, the, the, the famous words of Callaghan were, Mr. Speaker, we shall take our case to the country. Mm. Uh, Theresa May can't do that, partly because of the Fixed-Term Parliament Act and partly because <laughs> she, her, her, the, the case that she would want to take to the country would have been defeated by her own parliamentary party. Mm. Um, mm. So, so she's in a very tricky position. So before, before you're in general election territory... Uh, there is a, a period where uh, Parliament uh, seeks to discover if there is another potential government that can be formed uh, out of the, the existing, um, uh, existing MPs and existing alliances that are there. Right. It doesn't look like that's there. It doesn't look like Jeremy Corbyn could really form a minority government. So in mm. those circumstances, then, yes, the government falls and there's a general election. But there my guess go. is she mm. would win she would win a confidence vote because mm. Conservative MPs then would vote for the government. They'd vote uh, that they had confidence in the and government. And the other majority with the DUP. Mm. They, they, with the DUP support, they, uh, they can claim a majority in, in Parliament. Just. Mm. Uh, and I can't see that the DUP would have any uh, real benefit or find any real benefit in causing a general election. That Their own MPs could be vulnerable um, uh, back in Northern Ireland. Um, uh, and the prospect of a Jeremy Corbyn-led government um, would probably be less sympathetic to their uh, ends and their objectives than, uh, than a conservative one. Got it. Makes so sense. I, I think she might. She might be able to. You know, even yeah. if she lost it by. Uh, a margin. Yeah, yeah. There's a confidence vote. She could stagger on, so she'd be a very weakened. All right. So she. Uh, prime let, minister would, yeah. Let's just let's try to predict the future. Then let's go by your line of thought, which is that she staggers on. So what she will probably potentially do is go for a second vote in Parliament, um, having tried to maybe negotiate with MPs that maybe voted against her. Is what I'm thinking. Right. Correct me and calibrate yeah, me. Yeah, I, 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 I can't see. 
a rosier scenario than that yeah. for the Prime Minister. It's all grim. Oh, yeah. my God. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, you could think, what's the best case here? Well, mm. perhaps perhaps you could lose by ju- just 20 votes rather than 100, mm. uh, you know, um, um, of our own parliamentary party. Um well, she's lost, but but you know it, you could you could wrap that up as some sort of strange victory. But surely, uh, and then uh, yeah, uh, yeah, then you're in a position. Well, could could you get some some uh, concessions out of the European Union? Um, which is unlikely. Current- which is highly unlikely. Well, they're, they're currently saying there's no no other deal. But in those circumstances, could she? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks like the that some Tory MPs could be bought off if there is a significant weakening of the uh, provisions around the backstop in Northern Ireland, that could be an area she could try and, and work on. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So so I reckon that everyone sitting in the House of Commons does not want us to go through a no-deal Brexit. Nobody wants that to happen. I am sure there is no member of Parliament. Some, oh, no, I don't think that's you, true. I think you you are, reckon there are people in there that yeah, would really want to see are, our country go uh, down Mr. in this Mr. way? Jo- Mr. Yeah. Johnson's one of them. Uh, yeah, I Bojo. Think there are, uh, Bojo. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's not ideologically committed, is he? But, yeah. but I think if you spoke to someone like John Redwood or you spoke to um, uh, Peter uh, Bone... or Rees-Mogg, maybe? Rees-Mogg. Yeah. You know, these sorts of people, yes... They, what, what they want is, is WTO rules. Um, mm. you, know, you, you fall back on, on a, a, a basic trading relationship and, and you, 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 you just assume it's going to work. Just, we've only so got I, a couple yeah, of minutes left. We've only got a couple, thanks for that, Dr. Barber. We've only got a couple of minutes left. But tell me this, which is, um, what's, just, let's just say worst case scenario. We, we're not able to resolve this amicably in government. And we do end up in March going through Brexit with a no-deal scenario, how will that translate in our day-to-day lives on the ground? Well, I mean, you, you hinted at the top of the programme there about uh, some of the uh, worst-case scenarios that the government has been warning of, and, and you talked about the... The, uh, the, the Dover situation. Dover. You talked about the... Mm. Uh, well, I'm not sure you've talked about it, but it has been talked in the news today around the stockpiling of pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. foodstuffs and things like that, which could be disrupted. Air travel could be disrupted. It's like a war almost. place like Luton. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you were right what you said a minute ago. That while there are some members of Parliament that would like a no deal... Um, the vast majority don't want that to happen and will and we'll stop that from happening. And actually, I don't even believe the government would, despite its sort of threats, you know, you vote for this or you'll get a, a no deal. Mm. I don't really believe that Theresa May's government wants that. Yeah. So you could get to the position um, sometime between now and, and, and the end of March. I think more probably more likely is the fact that they will just probably kick the whole decision in the long grass and just say, we'll, have, we'll want another extension for another year or two yes, years well, or whatever. But, but you mm. saw the, the, um, the European uh, Court of Justice no ex- uh, ruled on, on this, or, no extension. or the provisional ruling, was that we can withdraw it. Mm. To get an extension requires 27 other member states to agree to it. We can withdraw it unilaterally. So actually the easiest thing to do is to say, well, we, we withdraw Article 50, um, until until such a time as as we're a country ready. we can decide what what course we want to go on. Oh my God, what a mess! Well, Doctor Stephen no, I, Barber, I, I think to be honest, that that sounds like a, a fairly good option at the moment. Until until somebody, to be honest, I think no nobody wants this job. No, nobody wants to be prime minister. <laughs> to, uh, so a few of them want it. 
there's a few of them want it. I'm not sure there's anyone in a position to be able to do it. Exactly. That's yeah. the key. And this is the thing. It's like Theresa May. She's falling on deaf ears right now. Literally, she just doesn't want to accept. She's in a state of psychological denial. And it seems no, I, to me I, her advisors are I just think that's confusing true. I, her. I, I, I think I think it's a deliberate position, knowing the fact that, you know... But they know is, they're going to lose. Surely no, they know. There's, there's no alternative. There's no alternative. That's it. Mm. So I, I think she, she knows that's... The, she's done the best what she a can. Mess. What a mess. If somebody I mean, wants clearly, to step up, there, there clearly are alternatives. But but given the position she's got herself in from the moment she became prime minister, there, and then uh, after the general election when she allowed the uh, the hardline Eurosceptics to hug her close, yeah, she's maintained this position that you can have it's the cakeism. You know, you can have the best of both worlds. Yeah, and she's maintained the position that we can leave and we can solve all these things, and and it won't lead to economic disaster. You know, and we'll have the close trading relationship and all the rest. And yeah. It, it, it isn't true. All right. Uh, and, and in those circumstances, there's no real alternative to something like the course that she set herself on. Fair enough. But well, of course, no one really wants it. It, uh, it, it, it satisfies ni- neither those who want to leave or those who want to remain. OK. Well, Dr. Stephen Barber, Principal Lecturer and Director of MBA uh, Studies at the University of Bedfordshire. We really appreciate your analysis on this. Thank you so much. Cheers. Great to talk to you. Cheers. Likewise. Cheers. Take care. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. You're joining me, Abdul Akbar, live from Inspire FM Studios here in Luton. And on the couch with me this evening is Zafar Saab. And we're talking, we've just been talking about the Brexit scenarios and what could ensue. Very, very interesting analysis there from Dr. Stephen Barber here, locally from the University of Bedfordshire. But right now... Let me go ahead and welcome all of our listeners across the nation right now. Of course, we are beaming out to the good people of Luton, as we do every day and 24 hours a day here on Inspire FM. We're also beaming out to the good people of Nottingham, Sheffield, Derby and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. So, welcome to everyone tuning in. Uh, We're going to go straight on to our next topic, which is slightly related to um, the affairs, but... We're going to go across the pond now to the United States of America. Um, And what's interesting here is that, um, you know, the the, the whole the whole situation with regard to um, Donald Trump's foreign policy. Now, tell me, what's what's your analysis here? Because um, there have been senators that have had very, very detailed CIA briefings about Mohammed bin Salman and his um, connection to the killing of or the murder of Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi embassy in Istanbul. And, you know, people like Senator Lindsey Graham came out a couple of days ago saying, look, this there is no doubt in his mind and the mind of other senators that MBS was behind this murder. He was the guy who made the order. Um, And then you have the president of the United States basically saying, no, the evidence isn't that strong. I mean, what what do you read into this? Well, to be honest, um, I think it's it's, it's grandstanding. And I probably understand the reasons why it is grandstanding. Uh, If you you go back uh, many... Uh, years and decades to the time of Saddam Hussein when he was a favorite boy. Uh, he was involved in killing loads and loads of people, to be honest, and so was Gaddafi and all the other dictators. And nearer, closer to home, you saw hundreds, if not thousands, of people murdered and burnt in masjids in Egypt, if you do remember that. Yeah. Right? So there's no outcry and there's mm. no sort of bullying somebody into a, a pigeonhole or a position or anything like that. I think it's, this is grandstanding because MBS started on a journey 
He had an internal revolt in a palace against his journey. Do you remember publicly he started saying that women can drive and there's all sorts of relaxations right on... Well, he's, uh, ma- he's made, I would say, he's actually no, no, reforming Emir, Saudi Emir, Arabia. Emir, yeah. Emir, so, so he started on a journey. Mm. But but thing is, he's, he's come up with resistance and it looks like he's listening to the opposition within his own palace. Mm-hmm. right? And this is a way of basically punishing him and pushing him into a corner to follow on. Interesting. Follow on that chain of okay. the, the road that he set up on. Very interesting. Uh, there's, there's another play here, though, and a lot of people are saying that the play is actually on oil. And this is where it becomes very interesting because we know the United States depends on oil. Correct. But how many of our listeners know that actually, you know, when I ask the average uh, person on the street, and I wanna, I'm included in that average person on the street, I didn't know this. But when I read up on this, I realized, and I, I've always thought, I've been grown up to think... Saudi is the top producer. Saudi is the top producer. America is now the top producer. America is now the top producer. Shale, shale oil. So shale. I want to understand what's going on there and what's happening with the global oil geopolitics, because Russia's in the mix here. Mm. We've got the US in the mix, and I've got... Just the person on the line that can help us understand this. He is, of course, Neil Hurst. He's a senior policy fellow for energy and mitigation at the Grantham Institute at the Imperial College London and also the author of a new book on global energy, The Energy Conundrum. Good evening, uh, Neil. Good evening. Delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us, what is the energy conundrum of this particular era, Neil? Well, the conundrum you're talking about is the desire of Donald Trump in the interests of his uh, supporters to have cheap oil. Mm. And you're absolutely right. The U.S., as a result of the spectacular growth of shale oil, is producing almost as much. We've had Canada in almost as much oil as they, as they consume. Mm. But they're still the oil traders. Mm-hmm. It's not the same oil. The oil trades around, and the price of oil in America depends on the world market price. Yeah. And that's set in terms of demand and supply. And that is why Trump has been beating on Saudi Arabia to say, you know, keep pumping. We want to keep the price down. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've just heard this afternoon that the OPEC, Saudi in the lead, together with Russia... Are increasing the, the price. ...have have uh, reduced cut the production mm. and have had some success in pushing the price up. So that's but, the battle that's going on now between Trump and other producers, other consumers, and the Saudis. And they seem to have won this round. Mm. But it, it, doesn't it... Uh, if you if you switch that situation around, if you see Russia, Russia is very much dependent on oil exports, and he wants to see the price to be high so that it can generate. Why would America want to see a, a lower price, uh, seeing that it's in a position basically to you know it, it's a it's a large producer of oil? So it, does does that not does that not make well, sense? Well, the oil industry might like to see a, a a higher price, but the oil consumers right. And they are the voters, don't forget. Right. The oil consumers want a low price. So that's, that's where that... Uh, and as you say, Russia and Saudi Arabia are most unlikely bedfellows. Mm. I mean, they're in conflict. They're in conflict in Iran. They're not at all uh, politically sympathetic. But their mutual interest is so strong... Yeah that they've managed to make an agreement today, which is an extraordinary thing, really. So, Neil, help me understand this, which is, if we were to get out our crystal ball and look at the future 
of energy and the geopolitics that surrounds energy. We know that Saudi Arabia and the Gulf countries are slowly kind of using up the oil reserves that they have. Um, how do you foresee that affecting the geopolitics in the world and the actual control of power? Well, I don't. I wouldn't see it quite. Uh, the the supply of oil depends on the price people are willing to pay. We're mm. not. We're not running out of oil. You know, there are huge new reserves being found in, in America. You have the shale oil, but in Russia, there are. Um, and all sorts of unconventional oil. So the question is how much we're willing to pay for the oil. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people used to talk about peak oil. but And we do have peak conventional oil already, the oil in the, uh, the, uh, the original standard reservoirs. But now we have unconventional oil. And the oil isn't going to run out. The big, and at the moment, demand for oil is buoyant because we have countries like China and India, new middle classes, they want cars. Demand is going up rapidly, mm -hmm. but of course everyone sees that um, on the horizon we have got to reduce oil demand because of climate change. Electric vehicles are coming. Mm -hmm. China is leading on electric vehicles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so at some time in the future, it is reasonable to expect that oil demand will plateau and then decline and that will be a huge problem for countries like Saudi Arabia. Very, very interesting. Well, there, there you go. That was Neil Hurst, um, who's a senior policy fellow at the Imperial College London, giving his analysis. Thank you very much there, Neil, for your analysis on that. His book is available, The Energy Conundrum, um, and you can read more about that. This is Friday Night Live. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Salam, my name is Race Kershi. You can catch me in City of Tiny Lights out now. Keep listening to Spire FM. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to part two of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar. And sitting in the hot seat with, the, with me tonight is Zafar Saab. Zafar Saab, assalamu alaikum. Action-packed show tonight, of course. As Indeed. I mentioned, um, so far we've been talking about Brexit and also oil. Uh, we're going to continue the topic of oil um, because on the line right now we've got Mohammed Atif from Voice of America. We'll be going to him in a moment. But I do want to remind you what else is coming up on tonight's show. Stay tuned because in about half an hour's time we are going to be going on to a topic that's a very, very challenging topic for many of us to talk about, including myself. I have um, very close, recent experience on this topic, um, but it's something we have to talk about and learn from because... Because we all are going to experience it, and that is the promise of death. And we all know that from the moment we were born, that eventually we will die. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises that every soul will taste death in the Qur'an. It's a fact of life that when we see life, um, soon we will also throughout the course and towards the end of our life see death. But how do you handle it? Especially when a loved one dies, especially when someone who's been looking after you all your life, like your mother, or your father, or your grandparents, have passed on. How do you reconcile this fact of life? It's easy to talk about, 
and it's easy to see it when others go through it. But how do you deal with it when it happens to you? What about the death of your own child, subhanAllah? How do you reconcile and handle that after having seen their birth, after having seen the birth of your own child, that you have to go through a challenging situation, a most difficult calamity, where your own child, you expect them to see your death and handle you when you are, di when you are dead, but instead you end up seeing them pass in front of you. SubhanAllah. We'll be talking about this topic in about half an hour's time. I'd like you to stay tuned for that because we do have an excellent panel of experts. We have Imam Zakaria from Masjid Zakaria in Lucy Farm. We have Amina Hassan, who is an experienced coach in these matters, especially with Muslim families and dealing with bereavement. Also joining us is Ansar Ahmed, who is the founder of Hope Bereavement Support, and also Muhammad Umar from the Garden of Peace Cemetery in East London. All of these experts will be joining us. And I also want you to call in and share your stories too on how you have reconciled bereavement on 01582 481 822. Right now, let's go straight to our next topic because this is Friday Night Live. We're beaming out to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby and Peterborough and surrounding areas and of course to the good people of Luton. Um, on the line right now, we do have uh, Mohammed Atif Saab. Assalamu alaikum, Mohammed Atif Saab. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you doing, How are you? sir? Long time no speak. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, good I'm to hear your well, voice. You. We love having you on this program um, and love hearing uh, the voice of America through yourself, of course, um, and getting your... Well, I represent myself. Let me just make it clear. <laughs> I represent myself and my own views. Of course, of course. The voice of America. Of course. And, yeah. and you, you know what's interesting here is that you are in the thick of it, especially in the Trump era. Um, and it's it's great to get the update from the ground um, uh, when, when you are when you are covering this topic. So uh, tell me, Mohammed Atif, in terms of the oil geopolitics and you know um, Donald Trump's policy towards Mohammed bin Salman, what's your analysis on what's going on here? I I, I think um, Mohammed Salman is Mohammed bin Salman is under a lot of pressure, although. Uh, President Trump and his Secretary of State are denying the reports of their own CIA, uh, denying the reports that clearly state that Mohammed bin Salman is the one who ordered killing of Khashoggi. Uh, but mm -mm. there is a lot of debate in the Congress and in the Senate, and actually GOP senators, we call Republican parties uh, uh, unit in the Senate and Congress GOP. Mm -hmm. So Republican senators in Senate are basically pushing and working on this thing to declare that Mohammed bin Salman ordered the killing of Khashoggi. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's a bigger challenge, not only for Mohammed bin Salman, but only for uh, President Trump's administration, because, uh, you know, uh, long as King Salman is the ruler of Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't think Mohammed bin Salman is going anywhere. Uh, so if the um, administration wants to continue their relationship with Mohammed bin Salman, on the other hand, 
the U.S. Congress is not ready for it, or the U.S. Congress is not allow policies that would uh, give more power to the current Saudi leadership or more power and benefit to Mohammed bin Salman, I don't think it's going to work out well. What's interesting here is that, you know, um, uh, Saudi Arabia is a massive, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest purchaser of defense weaponry from the United States. And Saudi Arabia is a enemy to Iran. There's no doubt about that. And they are Iran is a mutual enemy to the United States and also Saudi Arabia. So what I don't understand is why are these GOP senators like uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who's probably the most vocal amongst that group, why are they so against Saudi Arabia? Why do they want Saudi Arabia and the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia to um, be, you know, destructed? Why do they not want um, a better relationship because of the reliance of Americans and the economy on, you know, Saudi money? I think for them, it's an issue of human rights. And I think what is at stake is not uh, what U.S. wants in the region. Um, It's U.S. uh, reputation and the U.S. role for human rights is at the stake. Mm-hmm. You know, United States uh, has been a vocal country when it comes to religious freedom, human rights, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. So if the U.S. would not do anything and, you know, sort of turn their eyes away from this major, major issues that has attracted uh, news media across the world, I, I think this would go very wrong for this impression of the United States that, you know, they are the ones who talk about religious freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of press, and human rights. So I think that's what is at stake, and the U.S. senators uh, definitely know that, and they do not want any compromise on that. That's very interesting. Zephyr Saab, what's your analysis here, and, um, you know, your feedback on the um, stance that Donald Trump is taking. He's effectively siding with Mohammed bin Salman, even though his own central intelligence agency, the CIA, is citing evidence um, which is contrary to what Donald Trump is saying. I mean, they're saying there is uh, no doubt, um, according to the senators, and and, uh, Mohammed Atif, keep me honest here, uh, the senators have actually seen the evidence. They've been given the briefing, the confidential briefing, and they say this is, um, you know, a, 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 a without no doubt, there's no doubt here that he is guilty. He's the one who made the order. Well, if, if, you, if you go back, I think the initial uh, reaction from Trump was something uh, was quite different. So when the, the initial news story broke, it was very, um, do you remember, it was very boisterous. He came out saying whoever did this is going to be punished and all yeah. of that. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, and I think he's, he's backtracked a little bit. And I think, as I said earlier on, um, that there are lots of dynamics at play here. It's, it's, it's oil is one aspect of it. Oil politics is one aspect, but geopolitics is another. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you see, uh, I think Turkey's come out really good uh, out of this, and Trump has you know complimented. Um, and the you know, Turkish Erd- lira, that's right, and stabilizing as well. That's right, yeah. So, so there's obviously some geopolitics and some mm. closing of relationship with Turkey happening over this, uh, mm. right? Uh, and I think what what 
uh, Trump is doing is, is, I think, he's playing a bit of a balancing act here. Mm. So America has, America generally has become a little bit closer to Turkey than it was. There was a big falling out, basically, right, over mm-hmm. Syria and then policies in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think on the one, on the one hand, the, the relationship with America and Saudi Arabia is very strong and has been strong for, for quite a while. And I don't think Trump wants to sort of upset that in any way. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the American Americans now have to sort of um, satisfy themselves that they actually might be supporting a, uh, you know, somebody who could potentially be a, a murderer, uh, a killer. Uh, and that doesn't look good on America itself. But I think Donald Trump, Donald Trump here is taking it on the chin and going out, out on his limb, really, to try and, um, you know, try and, you know, in some ways... Um, keep a sense of normality of the relationship while the rest of the the American society and American power uh, structures are are going about sort of trying to, um, you know, uh, subtly sort of move away just in case it blows up, really. There you go. There you go. Mohamed Atif, what's your take? What um, Mr. Zafar said, I I agree to that. Um, But there are other things to look for. You know, uh, I mean... Uh, naturally, uh, when President uh, Trump came back and when the same questions were asked to the Secretary of State, they said, you know, we've got to keep U.S. interests uh, on the front. And uh, I remember the exact words of the Secretary of State. He said, it's a mean, mean world out there and we have to watch America's interests. Mm. So um, the the relationship between Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arab, and uh, America goes back, uh, you know, for decades, and uh, Saudi Arab is one of the most uh, uh, powerful ally of United States in the Muslim world, and not only in the Muslim world, but in that region. And as we know, that uh, the tensions between Saudi Arab and Iran, uh, you know, that makes Saudi Arab and U.S. a good partner because U.S. also want to contain uh, Iran on many levels, not only on economy, but on weapons and nuclear ambitions and all that. And Saudi Arabia also sees Iran as their enemy in the region. Uh, And then Iran's support to Shia militia, not only in Yemen, but in uh, Palestine, um, in uh, many other forms, uh, you know, Iran support to Hezbollah and all that. And that's a matter of concern, not only for Saudi Arabia, but for United States as well. Mm. I think the, the, the other thing that, that I think you mentioned um, about the, the Yemen war, I think Saudi Arabia is desperate to sort of try and see a, a conclusion to that one way or the other. And I think Americans have spoken, spoken about that. And I think there's some discussions happening in Sweden about that. So there's that happening in the background. And I'm sure that's got to do, um, you know, with, with some of the... Uh, um, you know, with with America's position as well, and also in a background, also you've seen um, the uh, the politics uh, around recognition of Israel, the state of Israel, by the Muslim countries and the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, and I think you've seen in the past sort of couple of weeks uh, within this atmosphere of um, I guess uh, 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 of, of pinning you know MBS down a little bit uh, some thawing of relationship with Israel between some of the, the uh, Middle Eastern countries. So I'm sure that that part of the 
part of the, the political discussion happening in the background is, well, you know, MBS, you're in trouble here. It's very complicated. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll help you, but, uh, you know, there's a matter of recognising Israel. How about, how about you doing something about that as All well? Right, I've got a last question for Mohammed Atif because he's also an Apna. He's a Pakistani. Yeah. And I want to ask him, uh, completely unrelated to US politics right now, but... Um, how do you think um, Imran Khan's doing um, in his execution of uh, government so far? Well, I'm so glad you didn't ask me about chicken and eggs. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, I, I think he's doing okay. Uh, the challenges were too big for an administration who came with uh, a little experience of governance and only in one province and a province that uh, the student did not get a lot of budget from uh, the central government and Mm -hmm. a province that was caught up in the war against terror and all that. Mm. Uh, So I I think uh, clearly we can see that the administration is inexperienced. Uh, You know, uh, I do not like to use uh, cricketing terms, but, uh, you know, uh, Imran Khan was playing his first match. He was sent to opener, and the bowlers were Australians. So that's how I look at it. (laughs) Well, the Aussie Aussie bowlers aren't feared anymore, I think. (laughs) There you go. Well, Mohamed Atif, always a pleasure from Voice of America. Always a pleasure having you on this program and sharing your analysis on U.S. and also Pakistani politics. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. If you're tuning in, you're tuning in, and you're listening to the voice of Zafar Iqbal and also me, Abdul Akbar. We're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight, and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby, and Peterborough. That's right. Um, So far, we've been talking about multiple topics. Um, Coming up in about 15 minutes' time, we'll talk um, for approximately an hour on a really delicate topic. It's something that, that we really want to deep dive into, which is dealing with uh, bereavement of a family member. That could be a mother or father. It could be a, a grandparent. But toughest of all, in my opinion, is probably seeing the death of your own child. That's coming up in about 15 minutes' time. Of course, I do invite calls for that particular session as well, 01582. 481822. It's a very difficult topic, but I'd love to hear from you if you want to share any anecdotes um, about that. Um, also, uh, we're going to be playing Guest the Voice over the course of the next uh, 10 minutes as well. Um, we haven't played Guest the Voice in a while, um, so I do want you to call in to 01582. Uh, 481-822 and if you do call in with three correct answers guess what you're going to be in for an awesome treat at G's Gourmet Burgers that's right meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers Uh, amazing amazing place to eat uh, here in Luton and if you win the competition tonight with three correct entries that's right you've got to guess three voices 01582 481-822 are you ready? Are you ready to play? Zafasab, are you ready to play? Yeah, sure. Except you can't enter, but you can try and play. Um, Don't give us the answers. Um, Here comes voice number one. Remember, listeners, 01582481822. Here it goes. Here's voice number one. You know, I'm a sportsman. I don't mind you lose when you give your best. You fight till the last ball. But I hate it when you lose timidly as we did. There you go. That was voice number one. Here comes voice number two. 
मैं सलाम करता हूँ उन लोगों को जिन्होंने इसको अमीन बनाया ग्रैब्स You know, I I'm a sportsman. I don't mind you lose when you give your best. You Who is this? The last ball. Who is But this? But I hate it. If you know, you lose timidly as we did. Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. Whose voice is this? Yes, Sadegurameen hai. Main salam karta hu un logon ko jinhone isko Sadegurameen banaya. Do you know who that is? Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. I'll put you straight onto the radio to hear your correct answers. Um, and voice number three. Well, uh, they should not disturb the overall scenario of uh, uh, a policy of rapprochement. That is my concern. Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. Give me a call if you want to take part in the competition. We're giving away a meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers. Lots of you calling in right now. We're going to take your details down and get you straight on to the radio. Uh, Zafar Sab, you know those voices? Can you guess this? Well, this is. This is a very easy one, I would say. You know, I I'm a sportsman. I don't mind. Mo Salah, obviously, isn't it? Your best, you fight till the <laughs> last ball. I don't know. Ball. You know, maybe it's a basketball player. But I hate player. it. Something to do with <laughs> the ball. When you lose timidly, as we did. Hmm. Oh, I don't again. He's got a Pakistani accent. Yeah. So who could that be? Okay. Well, um, we do have a, a multiple callers on the line, which we'll be going to in a second. But who is this? Yes, Sadegurameen hai. Main salam karta hu un logo ko jinhone isko Sadegurameen banaya. Okay, very emotional person there. I wonder what happened to him and where he is right now. Uh, very cold I and damp place. Do not know. A one five eight two four eight one double two. And the next one is. Well, uh, they should not disturb the overall scenario of uh, uh, a policy of rapprochement. That is my concern. Wonder where he went. Yeah, interesting. I wonder where he is too. Um, okay. I'm probably your neighbour. You <laughs> uh, <laughs> could be living in that part of the world. Who knows? Um, very interesting. So, um, okay, we're going to go to our callers on the line in a moment, and we're going to try to hear as many people as possible on Guess the Voice. We are giving away a meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers. Um, okay. So let's let's make sure that we can um, speak to everyone that's available, and make sure that um, we can get as many answers as possible. Um, uh, okay, so what we'll do is we'll come back to that in a moment, and um, continue. Okay, that's perfect. So here comes uh, we got a caller on the line right now. Assalamu uh, alaikum, caller. Wa alaikum salam. Can you hear me? We can hear you. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, okay, my name is Khurram, and uh, I'm calling from Luton. Thanks for calling, Khurram. Uh, here comes the voices, Khurram, and just tell me um, who you think this is. You know, I I'm a sportsman. I don't. Who is that? It's not uh, Imran Khan. You think that's Imran Khan? Okay, Khurram Saab, Tika. All right, next voice. Here comes the next voice. Who is this? Yes, Saad Khuramin. Who is that? It's Nawaz Sharif. You think that's? No- Are you sure? This one is Nawaz Sharif. Hundred percent. ओके 
Well, they should not disturb the overall scenario of uh, a policy of rapprochement. Korn? Uh, is retired General Pervez Musharraf. General Pervez Musharraf. Okay, are you sure these are the correct answers? So the first one you said is Imran Khan. The second yeah. one you said is Nawaz Sharif. And the yeah. third one is? Uh, Pervez Musharraf. Pervez Musharraf. Okay, Khorin Bhai, if you gave us the correct answers there, we will put your name into the hat. Um, okay. uh, there are people WhatsApping us. You can't WhatsApp us the answers. You have to call in and give your answers live to me and Zafar Saab in order to be eligible for the entry. Um, Khorin Bhai, keep listening to the program. And inshallah, you if your much. name is yeah. chosen, you're going to have a lovely meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers. Okay? Thank you very much. And have a lovely evening, all of you. And you too, bro. Thanks for calling. Okay, well, listeners, um, I would like you to call in. Lots of you calling in, but it has been engaged. So I'd like you to try again. Um, do you know who this is? If you do, you can win a meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers. 01582 Call me straight away and we'll put you on straight away. Here comes voice number one. You know, I, I'm a sportsman. I don't mind you lose when you give your best. You fight till the last ball. His voice but number... I hate it. Voice number when two. When you lose timidly as we did. Cha-cha-cha. Voice number two. Here we go. This is the Gurameen. I salute those people who have made it the who can that be? If you know who that is, give me a call straight away on 01582481822. And third and final voice. Well, uh, they should not disturb the overall scenario of uh, a policy of rapprochement. That is my concern. Very, very interesting voices there, Zafar Saab. Do you reckon you know all three? Uh, I think so. You reckon you know the three? Okay. Uh, all right. So this is Guess the Voice. And remember, if you're actually tuned in right now, we're live on the radio on the 7th of December 2018. And... You can take part in the competition if you know whose voices these are. Here comes voice number one, one more time. Remember, as soon as you know the voices, give me a call on 01582481822. You cannot WhatsApp in. Lots of people WhatsApping right now. You've got to call me on 01582481822. Here comes voice number one. You know, I, I'm a sportsman. I don't mind you lose when you give your best. You fight till the last ball. But I hate it. When you lose timidly as we did. Yes, Well, they should not disturb the overall scenario of uh, a policy of rapprochement. That is my concern. Okay, those are the three voices. If you know who they are, you can win a meal for two at G's Gourmet Burgers, who's sponsoring the winners of tonight's competition. 01582-481-822. And don't forget, listeners, coming up in about six or seven minutes' time, we are going to be talking about um, a very, very challenging topic on bereavement. So stay tuned for that. But Zafar Sahab, um as we process the calls that are coming through and all the entries, um, tell me one thing, which is, what's your take on the current situation in Pakistan? What's your analysis of how Imran Khan is doing right now? Uh, I think, to be honest, he's up against uh, up against it a little bit, because obviously, I think, like uh, uh, Atif Bai said, um, you know, it's, it's an inexperienced government. Uh, but they have actually set some some targets for themselves, uh, which kind of indicates to you right, that they are serious about doing something about the country. Uh, none of the governments that come into power previously have committed themselves to produce something after 100 days. Mm-hmm. He set that as a, as a standard for himself. 
um, you know, he's he's made some some well. The, the press is out to get him to uh, to be honest, and he's made a few blunders. But then you you expect that a little bit, right? From from uh, you know, he's not he's not interfered with the with the media. I think the previous government actually shut down some of the channels and stopped him from broadcasting, etc. He's not shut them down. Mm-hmm. But then again, Pakistani media is is owned by uh, big and famous. Uh, business owners mm. and have vested interests to be honest and, and they serve them more than anything else interesting interesting <laughs> well listeners this is Friday Night Live with me Abdul Akbar and Zafrik Balsab and we're going to be back uh, after the break where we will be going into our topic for the next hour on dealing with bereavement we've got an excellent panel of experts stay tuned to Friday Night Live and Inspire FM you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to part three of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar and Zafar Iqbal. It is, of course, Friday the 7th of December 2018. MashaAllah, we've had a great show so far. First hour has been action-packed as we do every week on Inspire FM on this program, Friday Night Live. Of course, we are beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight. We're also beaming out to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. Um, So we're going to be continuing our show tonight. And of course, as I mentioned, um, we're going to be going straight into our topic of bereavement in a moment. It is a very challenging topic. Um, And we have got an excellent panel of guests as well lined up. Um, And all I will say to you as you listen to this particular part of the program, listeners, is, um, you know, try to take part if you like. Um, You can give us a call, 01582-481-822, if you feel that you want to make a comment or you have any questions um, on the topic we are talking about. So we are going into the topic of dealing with death and death, maybe in the family, maybe your mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, or for me, worst of all, and subhanAllah, most challenging of all, imagine the death of your own child. Think about it. I mean, Zafar Sahib, I don't know about you, but subhanAllah. You know, most parents are there when their children are born. Yeah. And nobody expects to see a child, their own child, die in front of them. Nobody expects that they will be burying their child. Instead, you, they, you, you, know, you expect your children to be burying you at some point. And you spend every day of your life preparing them for being the utmost and upright of citizens and, you know, and people and humanity but then your own child dies in front of you subhanallah um i'm going to share a personal story um of course i'm not going to mention uh which part of my family but this actually happened in my family recently um you know where my niece passed away she was only 12 years old and she passed away and 
I can't begin to imagine what her parents have been going through. Like, what do you do as a father when your own daughter passes away? How do you handle and manifest that particular aspect and calamity in your life? Allahu Akbar. So, so, so difficult. Um, but before we go into that particular aspect and generally dealing with grief, I mean, Zephyr Sahib, you also had a bereavement in, in your life and... Um, you know, it's it's very hard for me to express because my own mother um, has cancer right now and the doctors have said that she doesn't have very long. Um, she knows she doesn't have very long. The cancer is spreading. Um, you know, it, it was bowel cancer and it's spreading to the lungs and it's growing. Um, so I have to prepare for this as well, subhanAllah. And it's a big challenge. And it's not just me. It's not just um, us. There are lots of people going through this right now. And then what we want to do on tonight's program is we want to understand how we can deal with these situations, how we can manage these situations. But Zafar Sahib, over to you. Um, tell us about your situation and, 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 and the loss of your mother and how, how you mm -hmm. handled that. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, so my mother passed away last year, uh, Alhamdulillah. So um, in terms of actually coping, I, I guess in some respects, um, uh, being prepared, like you're saying, you know, my mother was ill. She was ill for for a good few months. Uh, that kind of prepares you. Um, but also, I think I think the the greatest coping mechanism that we Muslims have, and and our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has actually taught us it, mm. is the fact that when they leave, they're not they're actually, you know, they're going to a better place from our, our belief perspective. And, and there's something that you can carry on doing uh, to help them to get over and, and transition into the next world. Mm. Um, and the du'as, the, the you know, the, the prayers that you can do, etc., etc. Mm. So in some some respects, we continue doing that, uh, mm. knowing that, that they've gone to a good place. Alhamdulillah, mm. and that that is uh, a really strong, I think, coping mechanism. And I think I've used that, and, and that's helped me a lot. Mashallah, mm. mm. you know, there's still we still get pangs of guilt every now and then. Uh, because you're always thinking, could I have done some more? Mm. Could I have done this or could I have done that? Uh, but our, part of our deen is that, you know, we don't delve into the what ifs. You know, this is what was meant to happen. This is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's will, uh, and and you know, um, and it's happened. And and that is again a very powerful coping mechanism. The fact is, this is the will of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. There's nothing that you could have done to prevent it from from happening. We've got Imam Zakaria on the line from uh, Masjid Zakaria in Lucy Farm. Salam alaikum, Imam Sab. Jazakallah khair for joining us on Friday Night Live. Obviously, Imam um, Sab, we're talking about a very challenging topic here, which um, I'm sure many people will resonate with. Um, what's, what's your perspective? Um, because, of course, being an Imam, not only do you, um, not only are you present at births, mashaAllah, you are present at marriages. But you are also present at um, death as well, um, and how do you, how what advice do you give to people when you are attending a janaza or a funeral? How, what, what kind of things do you say to maybe um, children who have lost uh, a father or a mother, or even you know parents who have lost a child? How do you reconcile that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, First of all, um, I think you guys have already covered some of the aspects in terms of the realization of death and um, life 
as such, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it quite clear for us mm-hmm. what is you know, what is life and what is death and what are the purposes of our short time in this world and then death and then the real life starts, you know, the eternal life starts. Um, the real life as such here, we're here for a few years. Mm. And everybody's got a certain amount of time, ajalim musamma, everybody's got a certain, whether they're believers, whether they're disbelievers, whether they're righteous, whether they're sinners, everyone's got a certain amount of time that they're going to live for in this uh, in this world. Um, and when that time's up, that time's up. That could be one year, that could be a hundred years. Mm. Um, a lot of the time it is, you know, the elderly or people, you know, of a certain age. But uh, when we go visit the graveyard or when we go to the janazah or bury somebody or the burial of someone, we see that there's sometimes you see a young baby child, child's grave at the end as well. So there's graves of people of all sorts of ages. So it's a reminder for us as well that, you know, there's no guarantee that we're going to live until a certain age where we're going to be able to be righteous. Mm. Um and it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a really strong reminder. The Prophet used to remind us to visit the graves. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of your question, what can we do to console people? Um, in one narration, the Prophet says a Muslim who consoles his brother will be clothed with garments of honor by Allah on the day of Qiyamah. This is narrated in Al-Bayhaqi. Um, in another narration of At-Tirmidhi, uh, the Prophet says, whoever consoles a bereaved mother will be dressed with a garment, a special garment, in paradise. Um, and there are many other narrations uh, similar. I'll just mention one other one. Whoever consoles an afflicted person will receive the same reward as the sufferer will upon his sabr. Mm-hmm. So um, the person who's going through a difficult time and um, you know, uh, displays sabr, Mm. And use sabr in his life, and is patient upon the uh, upon the will of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Mm-hmm. He gets a certain amount of reward. So there's a reward available uh, or given by Allah from by doing sabr on that, you know, difficult time. And Imam Sahab, uh, may I ask you a question? Which is, have you personally experienced a bereavement of close to you yet? Uh, y- yes, I mean. Mm. You know, um, this is one brother, uh, Tariq, mentioned the subject to me earlier on. I, I, I said, you know, we mm. could never probably, unless we've had someone really close to us, mm. and I think you, you touched upon it as a young child. Mm. You know, we, we, I haven't had anything like that, but yes, we've lost, I've lost my father. But, um, you know, uh, as um, Brother Fiaz was mentioning, uh, or Dr. Sab, sorry, uh, when he was mentioning it Gee. about, you know, sometimes there's an expected death, sometimes you're waiting you know, you know that a person is going to leave the world. This is coming, yeah. Mm. Or they got to a certain age. Like recently, a couple of months ago, I buried an uncle of mine in Brighton. Um, and But he was ill for a number of years. And then when we went to the bureau, obviously, you know, we consoled his children and so forth, my cousin, brothers and sisters. Mm. We consoled everybody. But, you know, obviously we knew that, you know, the situation was coming. Mm. Uh, it's unexpected, which is more difficult to bear and more patience is required. And more sabr is required when it's unexpected, such as, you know, it's a sudden death, an accident, mm-hmm. um, you know, a child at a certain very young age or a loved one, you know, was nowhere near sort of old age. This is when, you know, a person has a different experience and a different sort of sabr that is required at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Imam Sahib, just hold the line. We've got Imam Zakaria on the line. That was the voice of Imam Zakaria 
from Masjid Zakaria and Lucy Farm. Um, but also on the line, as I mentioned, we have an excellent panel tonight of really uh, amazing experts in this area. And I, I look forward to speaking to all of them and getting their analysis and, and, and experience as well. Um, we, we, right now we have Ansa Ahmed, who is the founder of uh, Hope Bereavement Support. Salaam alaikum, Ansa. Walaikum salam, brother. How are you this evening? Alhamdulillah. Zakallah khair for joining, sister. Um, so, sister, tell us, um, from your experience, um, you know, obviously everyone goes through bereavement and everyone will go through bereavement. Everyone listening to this program right now, um, we too, one day, subhanAllah. It, for, for me, death um, is, is a very scary prospect. And I think um, it's, it's both a scary prospect, but it's also... Um, yeah. something that you know that you're going to transition into. And as Muslims, we believe that there is a next life as well, that this is not the only life. As yeah. Muslims, we believe that um, this is a journey, um, but it's not the final destination, you know? Alhamdulillah. Um, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's true, but at the same time, there is a fear of death. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm scared of death. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, and I think um, that, that fear is just innate in me. It's a natural thing. Um, and I, I fear the death of, of my mother. I fear the death of any of my family members. Subhanallah, it's, it's very mm-hmm. difficult. Um, and the question is, how 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 do you find people react to um, death? How do you find um, people get consolation from such a calamity? Mm-hmm. Well, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. First, I wondered if you've already given an introduction into my background, other than what you just Not shared. Yeah, please go ahead. Actually, please do. Um, if that's okay, um, I'm a counselling therapist, um, registered and qualified. I live up north and work in Leeds. And I have my own private practice. And this has been going for three years, but for the last 12 years, alhamdulillah, I have been working quite actively from a voluntarily perspective Ashram. within the community in helping, supporting people for different reasons. I've been part of spiritual teams within hospices, as well as working with women and families who actually lose children. Mm. And this is within our South Asian communities. It's very rife in terms of a very taboo subject yes. where women can feel very ostracized and the men can be completely shut outside yes. of the whole process. Yeah. And I think what the brother was just saying, I believe the Imam brother who was just speaking before me. Imam Zakaria, yes. Um, <laughs> Imam Zakaria said very rightly that the loss of a child and the loss of an adult are two very different grief processes. Mm. And as a clinician, I can tell you that when I have clients come in to the therapy room, they are holding very different processes. Because the loss of a child that you have dreams for, that you have hopes for, that has not materialized yet, is a very personal loss, Mm. a very isolated loss, compared to the loss of, say, a grown child. I just learned recently, actually, that my... um, A really good family friend whose child, um, who's 15 years old, has died. Mm. SubhanAllah. And this Mm. is... This is a child who spent 15 years of his life with his parents. So the grieving of that parent is going to be completely different mm. to, say, a child who's been lost at stillbirth, neonatal death, or even different stages of the pregnancy. It's completely different. Mm. So when you ask me that question about how you fear death, and I think that's very um, a good point to start with, our innate response as human beings, the way we've been created, is for survival. Mm. And in every Hadith and Quran, if you look at this, the first step is to survive in whatever adverse circumstance you might find yourself in. We are even told that, and I know that there will be different schools of thoughts on this, but if you have to survive and you have to eat haram mm. or even drink alcohol or certain substances to heal yourself, mm-hmm. then that is permissible if nothing else 
as an alternative is available. Mm-hmm. Always looking at the I whole mean, the f- first thing we do, sister, when we're born is we look for our mother's milk. Survive, to survive, yes. right? Yes. One life. Innate yes. in our, it's, it's our fitra, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Mm. And I think mm. this is also part of the grieving process. When we have any kind of grief or loss, it's not just for the loss of somebody dying. Grief and loss can be applied to anything in our life. When you, and this is going to sound really mundane, mm. but my therapist, uh, friends out there might understand this, but if you lost your car keys or you lost a job or you lost a, a partner, you will find that the process you go through will be the same process, but it will be different severity levels. It will be different parts of the spectrum that you will fall on. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is how the coping structure, how your resilience comes in, your nurturing, your faith, your core beliefs really enable that process or stop it, become a barrier to it. You know, it depends on what you're nurturing or what your beliefs are. These are really influential on how resilient you become in whatever trial or tribulation you're going through. Right. There was a lovely hadith also the Imam Zakaria recorded, which was one of my hadiths I was going to quote about, um, you know, helping the bereaved woman and, and being clothed, you know, in the hereafter eloquently. And I think that's beautiful hadith by, oh. um, I'm trying to remember, it's in the Bukhari and the Tirmidhi, where the Prophet Sallallahu was asked by Hazrat Aisha about if, you know, you lose a child, you know, you lose two children, what would be what would happen and if if you went lost even one child what would happen mm. and the answer was that no matter how many children you lose you will be entering into jannah the reward is jannah for you because those children will stand at the front of the gates of hellfire and pull you by the umbilical cord allah. and say to allah and plead on your behalf that i have spent all this time my mother has suffered enough please allah. let her come with me to heaven subhanallah these are the and, you know, the inspirational quotes that we can find from our beloved Prophet and our companions when we read this hadith, when we understand the Qur'an and understand that these scriptures are there to support us through those testing times because the mind and the body we have right now here on this earth Mm. is very sensory. So you see, you hear, you smell, you taste, you feel. So it's very easy to get attached to this dunya. Uh, Sistanza, just, yeah. just, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Um, I, I, I'll come back to you in a, in a moment. I want to get Imam Zakaria yeah. back on. Jazakallah khair yeah. for those really sure, inspirational. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, this, this is an amazing forum. Jazakallah khair. So Imam Zakaria, mashallah, um, you've shared some um, really inspirational words. We've had Sister Ansa Ahmed, who's the founder of Hope Bereavement Support in Leeds, um, uh, share some really um, powerful uh, items of hope for parents who have lost children. Uh, Imam Zakaria, um, what, what guidance would you have from your experience for parents who have lost children? Um, of course, you know, the, the thing that we revert to and something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran as well, which is, you know, have patience and prayer. Have patience and prayer. Um, it's very easily said for human, for uh, for me to say, have patience, brother. Um, it takes a different level of patience, though to show patience in the event of a calam- the calamity of losing your, let's say, your daughter, subhanAllah? Um, absolutely. Um, first of all, um, I think we have to realize that the Prophet ﷺ lost children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Ibrahim, uh, Ibrahim um, when he passed away, um, you know, Abdurrahman ibn Awf said to him, Oh, Prophet of Allah, even you are weeping. So he was actually crying. And he was obviously very saddened by the loss of his son. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, the Prophet replied, oh, Ibn Awf, this is mercy. 
and he wept more and he said, the eyes are shedding tears and the heart is grieved and we will not stay except what pleases our Lord. O Ibrahim, indeed we are grieved by your separation. This is mentioned in Bukhari. O Ibrahim, indeed we are grieved by your separation. So the Prophet ﷺ was a human being. He was um, you know, emotion, emotion, very emotional at this stage. Mm. And he was shedding tears and he was crying and, as mentioned, weeping mm. at the loss of his child. Um, you know, no, I think none of us perhaps have been in this situation where we've lost maybe our own, you know, child. But, you know, we don't know how we would react and we can't begin to understand what kind of difficulty and pain a person would be experiencing. Absolutely. We can't really put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who has experienced this. And um, But from from these, we can learn that we can see that, you know, crying and being emotionally saddened is a natural fitrah, is, an, is a normal thing. It's, it's sunnah, norm- almost. It's sunnah, you know. It's sunnah, as you say, yeah, absolutely. It's a sunnah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, it's a, it's a natural thing. A person gets angry, he cries uh, when he's sad, you know, um, and this is a natural thing. So being sad and being, th- these are all natural reactions mm-hmm. to um, incidents that we might face in life. Um, but as you as you as you said, you know, we you know when 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 these things happen, we we say all everything belongs to Allah, and mm-hmm. to Allah everything shall return. Um, and we you know the person who is you know patient at that time, he's the one who um, you know gets the best reward. He gets the reward as I mentioned earlier for his patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know another narration which I'll just mention is a beautiful narration, um, and it, it, it applies ever ever so much more now in this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "How wonderful is the case of a believer! Mm-hmm. There is good for him in everything." And this applies only to a believer. If prosperity attends him, he expresses gratitude to Allah, and that is good for him. And if adversity befalls him, he endures it patiently, and that is better for him. Subhanallah. So, Subhanallah, we can see that you know. Um, even when we're going through good things and we are grateful and we are rewarded and when we are when we experience difficulties and we are patient then also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he rewards us so being patient at you know um, times of difficulty and especially as mentioned times of loss of life and this is something again it's mentioned in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says um, that we will test you with loss of numerous things as mentioned there mm-hmm. as well and one of the things is life that loss of life and you know when you keep when you you know as you mentioned the topic we can't begin to understand what our brothers and sisters in you know faraway lands in in muslim lands are going through the difficult you know they're losing their children the entire families um, you know, often being killed, you know, often much, you know, really bad things happening to them um, and the kind of patience and the difficulty that they're going through and the reward that they're receiving through that experience. Subhanallah. Imam Zakaria, just stay on the line because I want to go back to, mashallah, Sister Ansa Ahmed, who's the founder of Hope Bereavement Support. She's a, a, a counselor as well. Um, uh, Sister Zakaria, for holding on with us and, and staying with us throughout the this part of the program. Um, you know, um, how do you find, like, when, when, when you are counseling parents who have lost a child, um, you know, w- what's your guidance on how family should be towards them and how family should support them and approach them? Because that can also be quite difficult depending on the family dynamics. Yes, rightly so. And I think it also is worthy to take into context the cultural element. We, have, we, we share a faith of Islam. But there is a vast cultural influence 
as part of our identity and our belief system. Um, I agree with all the quotes that the Imam was just saying, and I would go one step further and actually explain something uh, medically to the tears that were described. And that's a beautiful quote that I always share with my male clients, especially that showing tears is actually a, a form of strength rather than weakness, which culturally, as you can imagine, is shared as a, oh, you don't share tears because that's weakness. Mm. But actually, scientifically, it's only been proven that the release of the tears, subhanAllah, from the eyes, actually lowers the cortisol levels in the brain, which lowers the depression and anxiety. Mm. So it's, it's a healing to actually cry. And this is naturally created by Allah, so this is something encouraged that we should be able to express our grief. And rightly so, whatever emotion you're going through, when it becomes uncontrollable, the natural reaction, if, if you cannot do anything physical, is to cry. Mm. Because it's out of your control or comprehension. In terms of family dynamics, it depends on what type of bereavement it is. If it's going to be a miscarriage or an early loss, then you tend to find that the South Asian culture, certainly, the women get ostracized. So it's an immediate family attachment only. And if there were any other women, and this is a very taboo subject, I'm aware of this, where they believe in something called the Peshawar. It is not related to the faith. It is a cultural belief, mm-hmm. which I have had to battle through. What, what is that? Now. What is the Peshawar? Yeah. Sorry? It's like a shadow mm-hmm. that the woman has been touched by a shadow. Right. And that woman is therefore carrying the shadow. So another woman who's pregnant or is fertile and, and maybe single, mm-hmm. not married, or is pregnant, should not go near this woman until she's come out of her 40 days uh, of impurity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she will have the ca- shadow cast upon her. So you feel even mm-hmm. more um, prejudiced um, against you. You feel isolated. You know, um, it's, it's quite a lonely state to be in. I believe it is changing somewhat. And you asked the question of, I think it was mentioned, if anybody sh- felt this pain. Mm-hmm. You are my brother speaking to a sister who felt it nine times. Mm. So I'm telling you that that pain cannot be shared with anybody unless they've been through it. That kind of loss, you can only um, reciprocate or even with, you know, the words, no matter what you say, I would say the comfort in silence is what I always recommend to the family who are in that situation. Uh, Sister Anta, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break. Um, We're going to come back to you and Imam Zakaria for some um, final words before we move on to our other guests. Uh, Listeners, we are are Friday Night Live. Uh, You're listening to Inspire FM. We're going to be right back straight to this topic of bereavement um, just in a few moments. Stay tuned. Friday Night Live. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. My name is Aziza Mia. Continue listening to Inspire 105.1 FM. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to part four and the final part of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar and Zafar Iqbal. It is Friday, the 7th of December 2018. And we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight and also to the good people of Nottingham, Derby, Sheffield and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. So welcome back to this very, very sensitive topic. We're talking about bereavement and dealing with the bereavement of a loved one. (laughs) 
And um, subhanAllah, we've been speaking to an excellent panel. We've been speaking to Imam Zakaria from Masjid Zakaria and Lucy Farm. Uh, we've still got Sister Ansa Ahmed, founder of Hope Bereavement Support in Leeds on the line as well. She's been sharing some excellent anecdotes and advice and guidance from her expertise in this area. Right now, um, in addition to Sister Ansa Ahmed, um, we're very lucky to also be joined in the studio by uh, Sister Amina Hassan, who is a certified and experienced um, transformational coach. She's also a motivational speaker. Mashallah, she's uh, formally trained as a solicitor with her own legal practice uh, specializing in Islamic wills. Um, however, Amina decided to follow her passion to support Muslim families and also retrain as a life coach. She now works with Muslim families to help them reach their highest potential through the tests and trials of family life. So, Asalaamu Alaikum, uh, Sister Amina, welcome to Inspire FM. Welcome, Salaam, brother. MashaAllah. So, you retrained from, um, retrained from being a, a legal professional to a life professional, I guess, subhanAllah. Yes. That's, that's an amazing choice to make. And um, tell us, I mean, you've been listening to the program, you've been listening to Sister um, Ansa as well, and whom I'll go back to in a moment. Um, but what's what's your perspective? Because I know, and you know, I know people have been touched by listening to the program so far. Because there's no doubt, and I'm sure you have no doubt, that there are people listening tonight that have touched death in some way, or have touched bereavement in some way. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, but it really doesn't quite come home until it's an immediate family member, like a mother or father or a sibling. Or dare I say, as we've been talking earlier, um, your own child. What's your perspective? What have you kind of learned and how do you advise people on how to approach this? Absolutely, brother. It is something that unless you've gone through it, you know, anyone who's gone through it will tell you you don't know what that's like. And mm. the reason why is unlike other tests in life, there's a real finality to death. Mm. There's no coming back. You know, we're faced with so many tests and inshallah we seek to overcome them and gain from them and benefit. Um, but with death, mm. it's just so final mm. and it's really difficult to know where to go from that. Um, in the work that I do as a life coach, there are often many um, sisters who come to me who have lost a child or a parent or a spouse. Mm. And the number one question that everyone really asks um, out loud or within themselves is why you know because it in that moment it doesn't make sense mm. in that moment for many people though we understand that we'll, we'll be tested though we understand that people will die it doesn't make sense when it happens to you mm. or you don't know how you're going to move on when it's happened to you it's just so different mm. um so in, in in explaining this you know and going through this and working through this the first thing I'd say is that we need to understand um, loss itself. You know, why? The answer to the why. Um, and to that, I often refer to Surah Bakra, um, Ayah 155 to 157, mm. because in it, and I'll read the translation um, which, in which Allah says, and we will surely test you with something of fear and hunger and loss mm. of wealth and life and fruits. But, good, um, but give good tidings to those who are patient. Mm. Who, when disaster strikes them, say, indeed we belong to Allah and indeed to him we will return. Imam Zakaria also mentioned the same one. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and in that, there's so much to be gained from mm. that. 
That's the why. That's the why. Mm. We're being tested. Mm. And to say inna lillahi wa inna mm. you could take that on two levels. Once physically that yes, it's a reminder that we're all we all belong to Allah and we're all going to return to Allah. So we don't belong our loved one doesn't belong to us. My child belongs to Allah. My mother belongs to Allah. You know, they're an amana to us, they're a gift to us, they're a blessing. They're a companion for us on this journey. But they don't belong to us. They belong to Allah. Mm. You know, if I lent you a pen and then I came and said, can I have my pen back? Mm. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd know that it didn't belong to you. That you, get, you know, you grow attached to it. And yeah. I'm not comparing a life to a pen. But I'm saying when it's something borrowed, when we're aware that it's something borrowed, mm. it's easier to let go. Mm. Um, and sometimes it feels like it's my child and my, you know. And yes, they're our companion, but they belong to Allah ultimately. Mm. Mm. Um and secondly, it's the returning to Allah, the returning home to Allah. It almost feels like they belong to us and here is home. Mm. But when we're returning to Allah, we're returning home. Mm. You know, it's just the losses for this journey, for this akhira, uh, mm. for this dunya. Mm. But in the akhira, they're returning home. There's a lot of comfort to be gained from understanding that they're returning home. It's almost like they've got the train, but they've caught it before you. We're mm. all going to the same destination, mm. but they just got there first. Mm. You know, they just went ahead. It's not for. It's not forever. It's not. You know, the mm. loss isn't forever. Mm. Um, so, on a physical level, yes, that person belongs to Allah and is returning to Allah. But on a psychological level, there's so much more to be gained as well from saying Inna Lillahi wa Inna Rajiun, mm. because psychologically, even in that moment, Allah is returning you to Him, to your thoughts to Him, your you know your moment in grieving to Him. You know, he wants to see how we're going to respond to that test. Mm. It's a test ultimately. Yeah. And he wants to see how we're going to respond to it. Um, so. How do we respond to it? What, what, what sh- how should we respond to it? Well, there's no should, mm. for starters, mm. because there is a whole array of feelings that you're going to experience. And there's no right or wrong. Mm. Um, because we are not in control of all of our thoughts and feelings. Um, but there are two ways that you can experience it. And before I say that, just to explain, I guess, the background behind grief, um, which is what you will experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there are, you know, there are psychologists who say there's five or seven stages of grief and there's no order in which you will experience them. It doesn't mean you have to order, you know, experience all of them. You may experience some of them, um, but they start with um, denial Secondly, um, denial. Denial as in, is this really happening? Yes, this can't I can't be believe it. Yes, you know. This is I not can't. happening to me. It's happened to, ev- it's happened to everyone else, but is this really happening to me? Mm. Exactly, yes. Mm, mm. Uh, we just don't want to believe it. Mm. Um, and secondly, um, anger. Mm. You know, a lot of times people become angry. You know, it could be in the circumstances that that person passed away. Was it the hospital's fault? Was it the, you know, the... Um, they did they diagnose it too late mm. and that sort of thing. So or blaming a spouse or a family member exactly. or even even maybe yourself. Blaming yourself, right? So there's anger. You mm. know, I should have some, done something differently. Mm. Um, there's also bar- bargaining, what they refer to as bargaining, mm. and that's if only I had, if only I'd done this, it wouldn't have happened. When my father passed away, I had that for a little while. Um, he passed away about six years ago now, mm. and I kept and on that day. 
I said to him, come home to my place. We were leaving the airport and he said, no, he was going to go home. So it kept going through my mind. If only he had come home, mm. you know, then that Maybe tragic Maybe things would have been differently. Yeah. yeah. I think everyone, uh, you, you know, it's very normal to do it, to have any of these thoughts. Mm. It comes to you. But know that if is from shaitan. Mm. It's, there's no if. It mm. happened the way it was decreed to happen. The way Allah meant it to happen. Yes. Mm. You know, but though we will we will explore these, you know, thoughts and we will go and to these places, mm. we almost torture ourselves with them. Mm. Absolutely. It's a really good point. I'm yeah. sure many people resonate with that. Mm. Yeah, mm. Uh, mm. we will do it. You might catch yourself doing it, mm. but d- don't beat yourself up if, if that's what's happening. Mm. But no, actually, it takes it takes a lot of the equation that mm. it's happened at the degree of Allah. Mm. Um, the fourth stage is depression that a lot of people experience depression, you know, they'll just shut themselves away and they won't know how to move forward. Mm. With that, what's happening really is that we're not knowing how to move forward. You know, everything seems different now and we just don't know how to move forward. The final stage is acceptance. And that's when, that's patience acceptance. And that is the stage that the, the Muslim wants to reach. Acceptance of Allah's decree, acceptance that we're being tested acceptance that you know it's not forever and it's not going to be more than what we can bear it's interesting i think zafar saab um is at that stage he's not in the studio right now because he had to um, go out for a moment but when i asked him about his mother passing away he said yeah my mother passed away just over a year ago and he said alhamdulillah yes i noticed you know, that praised yeah, allah so he he's he clearly sounds like he's accepted that, yes. that his mother is not gone anyways because she's gone back to allah which is which is interesting an observation that i made and it sounds like you yeah. made it too um and what that is mm. once you reach acceptance you end up in a state of peaceful sadness mm. because we'll always be sad when we've lost someone we'll always be sad mm. you know it, it won't be the same without them in happy occasions you're going to miss them mm-hmm. you know in the beginning you're going to miss them a lot more Mm-hmm. As time goes on, you'll always miss them, but when you remember them. Mm. And so we will always have sadness, but you can have peaceful sadness or angry sadness. Peaceful sadness is when you accept Allah's decree, when you accept that Allah has done, you know, there's good in everything and it's, it wasn't more than what you could bear. Mm. When you accept it, you'll be in a peaceful state. You'll be content with Allah's decree. Mm. But until that point, then you're either in you know, an angry state or or a blameworthy state, but there's no peace with that. So can I ask you, um, Sister Amina, which is some people may be listening to you right now and, and those different stages that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. people might be at different stages of, of, the, of those particular stages and, and may identify themselves at one of those bits. Um, how do you get, how does one move along those stages and get to the acceptance What's that journey like? And if somebody feels as though, for example, they are blaming themselves or they're asking themselves the what if or what if I did this? What if I did that? Um, how do you move on from that? How do you get to that final kind of destination on, in terms of these stages mm-hmm. of acceptance? What I do in my work is I help um, I help people understand how our minds are working, mm. how our mind is working, how our, our nafs is working mm. against us in that situation. And what happens is our ego, our nafs, you know, we'll make it about us. We'll see it all through our own lenses. What this means for me, what will happen to me, you know, what about me? And you always see things through your own lenses. Mm. But when you're seeing it through your own lenses, you're not seeing Allah. You're mm. not seeing the bigger picture. 
So it's almost like two sides of the coin. On one side, you've got me, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about me. Mm. But I'm saying when we're only caught up in seeing how things affect us, mm. we're missing a bigger picture. Mm. We're missing what Allah wants from us. So know that if you're hearing a lot of, well, what's get, you know, what about me? What if I'd done this? What if, you know, what, what, what about my future? I'm not going to be the same again. Mm. These are all thoughts. Mm. These are all thoughts that are coming from our nafs, mm. you know. And, in do, in, in, and they're not real. Mm. They're not real. They're not real because if we're thinking about thoughts from the past, well, they're not real. The only place, the only way we can go to those is through our memory. The past is gone. Mm. We can't recreate the past. Mm. So the past is gone. Likewise, the future. We can imagine what will happen in the future. I'll never be happy again. You know, things will never... Mm. Yes, things won't be the same, but it doesn't mean you won't be happy again or you won't move on or you won't continue. Right. Because you have to. Somehow you will. Allah knows you will and he'll send you the help you need. Mm. But... If we're thinking about the future as well, mm. we're only imagining that in our imagination because that hasn't come yet. Mm. And when we're in the past and we're in the future, mm. then we're not in the present moment. We're not dealing with it and we're not seeing what Allah wants from us. Very interesting. What about, um, because one, one way that as a Muslim and as Muslims who are listening to this program right now, one way that we connect with Allah is through dua. Yes. Right, we connect with Allah through our prayer mm-hmm. five times a day, but then after that, or throughout the course of the day, we're making du'a, um, and I guess that's another way of connecting to Allah about our loss, about those who have passed away, and making du'a for those who have passed away, right? Um, because you know, as far as I'm aware, is when you make du'a for those who have passed away, the angels take those good tidings into the grave and offer those good tidings and gifts, subhanAllah. Um, and that's another way of staying connected to those who have passed on, right? Which, which is which is very powerful. Sister, Jazakallah khair for that. We'll come back to you um, in a moment. I want to go back to, because we have uh, another another amazing guest. We have two amazing guests on the line as well, in addition to Sister Amina Hassan, who we've just, who've just been hearing from, um, who is a, a life coach, professional, mashallah, very, very inspiring um, and scientific aspects there from there, um, from Sister as well. Um, we're going to go to Muhammad Umar in a moment from Gardens of Peace Cemetery uh, in East London. Before I do that, let me go back to uh, Sister Ansa Ahmed, founder of Hope Bereavement Support in Leeds. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, Sister Ansa. Jazakallah khair for holding on and being so patient there. Um, mashallah, we've heard um, from Sister Amina and uh, yourself so far. Any thoughts on what you've been hearing and, and processing yes. as, as you've been listening in? Any thoughts? A lot. A mm. lot. Um, it's, it's interesting to hear the life coach side of it, but there was a lot of Islamic principles in Sister Amina's words. And as a practicing um, clinician who works both person-centered, Western mm. model, mm. but also uses Islamic psychology, a lot of the things there were connecting to me with what she was saying. And in the practice, when you're helping the clients, um, the two things I would like to add to the Roth um, um, stages she'd mentioned and she'd say to the five stages, Mm-hmm. how a person processes and I, I just need to add one thing um, humbly mm-hmm. that it is not a stage process mm-hmm. it is a cycle mm-hmm. and once we understand it in that dynamic you will realize that this is not a stage process you can go from anger to acceptance to back to anger I guess everyone to, kind of know. randomly goes through these it's not a yes. sequential process no. okay that makes sense and, that makes and sense. how you process the grief and the loss actual process 
the psychological element of it depends on whether you are actually task oriented or if you're grief oriented. Mm-hmm. So if you as Muslims we know that we've got the burial, we want to do all these tasks, X, Y, Z, you'll go into that stage first. But then your grief might be delayed. The grief exactly. process slows you down in mm-hmm. going around that circle to where you end up. But I, I think the best way to describe it and how I describe it to all bereaved clients is that the grief, that hole, that blackness that's now appeared in your life that will never change. That will always stay the same. What will happen is that as people, we will grow around it. So you grow around that. Your life grows around that. Mm. And so it may feel like, oh, it's got small or it's got less. But actually, in a lot of ways, what the sister was saying was making peace. It goes back to, for me, bringing in and drawing the dwarkos mm. or the God consciousness and awakening that awareness mm. within the client. Mm to alert them to, okay, what is triggered here? Mm. Because the ultimate, and I do this in diagrams again, I'm a very visual person, but you have, if you have an upside-down pyramid and you put Allah at the top of it, mm-hmm. Allah is your first priority. That's your first relationship. So how are you going to bond with that? Because after that, if you are not married, it's your parents, your siblings, then your, your baladri, then it's you know, your work, whatever, education, the dunya. But if you're married, after God comes your spouse, your children, then your parents, then your siblings, and so on. Mm. Now, if you were going to fall in love with somebody, you would want to learn everything about them. That's what draws you to them. And this is what I say to my clients. How about building that relationship, that God consciousness stronger? Because if you love Allah, and that love is there, then the test, no matter how hard it gets, you're able to ride through that roller coaster. Because it will be a roller coaster of emotions. Mm. You will go up and down. And that love should be strong enough to believe that Allah would have that mercy and have that blessing and acceptance for you to go through whatever you do. And it's okay to say why. Mm. I just want to add, it's okay to say why. I Mm. get a lot of angry clients. And the the therapy side of things for me is about holding that safe space Mm. for them to be able to explore that anger and sadness. Mm. And not to be judged for that, or be condemned for that, or feel that we are sinful, or we are being going against God's wishes. Mm. Because that is a process of awareness you need to achieve in order to get to the patience, to be able to tolerate. SubhanAllah. Listen, sisters, um, we're actually um, running out of time. We've only got a few minutes left of tonight's program. But wow, wow. I think, like from my personal perspective, I've been doing this show for the last... Um, five years, um, four and a half years, and subhanAllah, um, this has been really stretching for me in terms of learning about these processes, and I think many of my listeners will relate to that as well. Um, Sister Ansa, if somebody wants to get hold of you and they want to leverage your services, how can they do that? Um, They can come on, there's two ways. I work with many different charities, and one of the charities who recommended me to you today Mm -hmm. is Inspirited Minds from down south London. So if you go online and look for Inspirited Minds, I am one of their volunteer counsellors. How do you spell spirit, Spirited Minds? Inspirited Minds. Inspirited Minds, okay. I-N-S-P-I-R-I-T-E-D. Okay, Inspirited Minds. Minds. Okay. Inspirited Minds. And for myself, it's um, www.hopeccleads.com. So Hope CC Leeds. Leeds. So Leeds as com. in the town Leeds, okay. Yeah, uh, so like... it's Hope 
it's short for Hope Counselling and Consultancy Lead. I do a lot of workshops and I work with a lot of universities. I'm part of the NHS as well and part of ESAN is also another challenge you can get in touch with me and that's in Bradford and Rashid Skinner Thank is you. a professor within the field of psychology that a lot of people will recognise his name and he's the founder of ESAN. So you can get in touch with me through there as well. Amazing. Well, you certainly sound Thank like you, you know what you're talking about and you've got a lot of experience. Jazakallah Khaled, Sister Ansa Ahmed for joining Thank us. You. Thank you so much for your time and your, and your wisdom. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and Sister, uh, yourself, Amina Hassan, if somebody wants to get in touch with you um, and they, they happen to live around um, the kind of Luton area, um, how can they do that? Um, you can contact me via email, connect mm-hmm. at com. A-M-I-N-A-H-O-S-S-E-N. The work I do with clients is online anyway, so it doesn't matter if you're not in Luton or around there, you know, so Luton St Albans area. Anywhere, doesn't matter where fine. you are. Yeah. Okay, so uh, our listeners in Sheffield and Nottingham and Peterborough still have hope. Yes. Mashallah. <laughs> so that's connect at Amina, so A-M-I-N-A. Mm-hmm. Hossen, H-O-S-S-E, and all one word, yes. dot com. Yes. Jazakallah khair for that, and thank you so much. Um, and listeners, I want to go on to our next um, guest as well, because we've only got like five minutes left, but he is so important to get his guidance as well. His name is Muhammad Omar. He's no stranger to this program. He's from the Gardens of Peace Cemetery. He's one of the founder me- members of the Gardens of Peace Cemetery. Assalamu alaikum, Muhammad Omar sahab. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Mahmoud, you've been listening to our experts, mashallah, um, on, on this topic. But um, you, you yourself have seen a lot of funerals. You have um, seen a lot of bereavement yourself. Um, what's, what's your guidance, um, having seen people go through bereavement, um, even the practical aspects as well? What, what, what's your take, given that we only have a few minutes left, inshallah? Uh, uh, certainly, my take, I've, I've been listening to both the sisters. Um, perhaps I'm in a different position in the sense that I'm quite unique in the sense that not only do I conduct burial, mm. but I also uh, have to face the families who are facing bereavement in the, in the immediate aftermath of the burial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That obviously is difficult to do so. But the, as both the sisters have mentioned, the, the primary stuff, over, the primary thing we need to always bear in mind is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is each and every one of us will face death. And that is something which we should always bear in mind in a way of trying to come to terms with somebody who passes away. Mm. And this is how we should do so. Allah should be in the center of everything. Which we do. Mm. Secondly, yes, there is a lot of emotion from a human perspective. So therefore, if you cry or if you are actually genuinely feeling grief, there is no issue whatsoever. What one you shouldn't do is to try and blame anybody for somebody's death or to say, Allah, why did you take him away or why did you do that and that? That is not really permitted in our Islamic culture, in our Islamic religion. Mm. However, grieving is a process which has been even in the hadith of Prophet when Prophet son died, Ibrahim, he mm. cried so much that his entire beard was completely wet with his tears. And Sahaba asked him, why did you cry so much, Prophet You are the best of creation. Your child is going to go to Jannah. Prophet used to say, 
at the end of the day, I'm a parent as well. I'm mm. bound to feel the pain. Mm. And this is where it comes from that even crying is important. And what the two sisters will have said from a practical perspective, sometimes it is better to grieve immediately because that way you're trying to get some sort of closure. But at times what happens practically, that it is actually a delayed response. Mm. And the longer it delays, obviously it will have more effect on that individual. Um, and also with other thing which the sisters did not mention, it actually grieving process depends on each individual cases. Mm. If it was a traumatic case, if it's a natural death, if it's something like say, the Grenfell victims, or if it's something was died in a stabbing wound, or someone has been murdered, yeah. Yeah. all those different categories mm. will have a different way of trying to come to terms with it. Yeah. So this is why it is very important. But in any case, uh, perhaps the most important thing we need to bear in mind is the fact that du'as are the most important thing to help anybody. Absolutely. That's, that's really important. Um, Brother Muhammad Omar, we've run out of time, but we're going to continue this topic in the very near future because I know that there's a lot more to talk about on this topic um, and getting your wisdom and, and the guidance of our experts here. But let me go ahead and thank all of our guests on tonight's program, Imam Zakaria, Sister Ansa Ahmed, um, Sister Amina Hossein as well, well, and just heard the voice of Muhammad Umar from the Gardens of Peace Cemetery. Wow, what a very, very interesting topic. I've learned a lot from that. I've learned basically it's patience and prayer. It's patience and acknowledging that from Allah we come and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our return. Listeners, this has been Friday Night Live with me, Abdul Akbar. Until next time, Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.